people will respect and listen to others that they aspire to be like, right? And I know it is 10x more valuable for me to highlight their story as entrepreneurs or as leaders within a corporate environment, how they became, that adds so much more value because not only then are you highlighting their company, not only are you highlighting that individual, but as a reflection of those things, you're also highlighting all the people in their life and their colleagues who can benefit from that spotlight. You're listening to Content Logistics, a podcast for B2B marketers looking to build a content engine that drives revenue. In each episode, Camille Trent interviews the marketers behind the best content marketing flywheels and uncovers the tactical aspects of content production from first draft to first customer. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Content Logistics. I'm your host, Camille Trent. And this episode is brought to you by my good friends, Tristan and Justin over at Motion. They help busy B2B tech marketers launch podcasts like this one. So if you've seen the promotions for this show, they look very nice in the feed. It's not me doing that. It's all them. So if you're looking to launch a podcast, you don't know anything about production, you're not a designer, reach out to them and they will hook you up. Today, our guest is Andre Faji. Director of Engagement Marketing at PandaDoc. I wanted to bring him in to talk about the logistics of assembling, making, creating, distributing customer stories that actually convert. So for context for everyone, the PandaDoc team has like recently like relaunched uh, customer stories. They've done like a great job of just engaging their customers and just creating stories, like creating the moments that enable stories, I guess. And so have seen that happen in my feed and just people chatting about them. You can't force that, right? Like you have to like foster an environment and a culture of that. And so wanted to bring him on to chat through exactly how they've done it. So Andre, welcome to Content Logistics. Thanks for having me, Camille. So I typically don't start off like this about title and background and all of that, but director of engagement marketing is not one that I've heard very often, kind of unique. I kind of love it. So can you tell the listeners what that means at PandaDoc? What does a director of engagement marketing do? Who's on your team? What are your responsibilities? It's a great question. A question I also had before joining PandaDoc and and quite honestly, even after, right? Because engagement marketing, shouldn't all marketing be engaging, right? Isn't that the goal of marketing? But engagement marketing as it sits within PandaDoc is really all about driving meaningful engagement with pre-sales and post-sales, the customer journey, right? So every interaction, how do we add more value through storytelling, through brand promise reinforcement, through proving our ROI and delivering an amazing experience around the conversion points that matter, right? Acquisition, conversion into a sales qualified opportunity, conversion to a customer, onboarding, adoption, retention, expansion. So in marketing speak, it's kind of like the end funnel to funnel experience across every touch point. Functionally within PandaDoc, the teams that I oversee are content marketing, lifecycle marketing and customer marketing. So when I talk about like the end to end buyer's journey, it really is all encompassing. Nice. That sounds a lot like growth marketing, like correct me if I'm wrong, but growth marketing, like end to end, is there overlap? Do you guys have a growth marketing team? We do. Yeah, we have a growth marketing team and there's definitely a lot of overlap and intersection specifically around like lifecycle marketing tactics, right? So 
you know, we, we have a very strong user base. We've got tens of thousands of customers that use Pandadoc every single month. And how do we tie in our in-app experience specifically with app queues and notifications and prompts to our email nurture tracks or the content that we produce, right? So it, it, there is a lot of overlap, but at Pandadoc, the growth team actually lives within product and I'm within the marketing team. Nice. That's a great breakdown. Okay. So switching gears to then customer stories and how your role plays into customer stories, customer stories, case studies, it's all like very fluffy, right? So what does it actually mean? Like, how would you define a customer story? Yeah. And this is a great question because it's something that I had to do a better job articulating when it was still an idea and it wasn't actually produced. So as I mentioned, we work really closely with the customer marketing team, right? And through customer marketing, we have the entire customer success organization. We know that our customer success team advocates, you know, how do we help every single one of our clients realize value through Pantadoc? So we have a lot of interviews that are conducted. We have QBRs. We have something which we can dive into later called our success KPIs, which is really like ROI analysis on an account level for how customers are using Pandadoc compared to benchmarks in their industry, other customers in the same industry, or our entire user base. So we can talk about things like, you know, the speed to create a document, the speed to close a deal. We have over 30,000 customers, so we have like some really great benchmark data around that. And the exercise around customer stories is like, how do we go beyond the case study? And why should we go beyond the case study? Because case studies are, a very common practice in B2B, as you know. And I think we as marketers probably all would admit that we have a love-hate relationship with case studies. It's oftentimes a box that we need to check. It's oftentimes one of the first things that sales asks us for. Hey, I just need more case studies, right? Give me more, more case studies. But like, what would an extra 10 case studies actually do for you, right? And more importantly, what would an extra 10 case studies do for prospects in the market who are evaluating our product. So that's where customer stories kind of come in because I really wanted to draw a line between what is a case study and what is a customer story. And in its most simplistic form, a case study is self-serving, proving the value of our product, the ROI it generates for our customer. A customer story is actually not like a self-centric conversation. It's actually beyond using the product what are the jobs to be done by this customer and how are they improving within their role and their organization and their business, right? So it's like, not how are you using Pandadoc to achieve X, but like, what are you doing in your role to provide center of excellence and a model for other customers who are potentially experiencing some of the same challenges as you, Mary, in HR, or you, Chris, who is the chief operating officer, right? Like, what are other customers in the market experiencing that they can resonate with that story. Because I think at the end of the day, case studies are kind of like sponsored ads, right? They're just kind of like, I know the brand is paying money to have this person talk about how great this product is. And a customer story can't be that. It actually has to be a day in the life of, of Camille. And what does Camille wake up every morning thinking about when it comes to her work? What are her personal and professional aspirations? Because at the end of the day, we connect with stories. I mean, I, I remember, uh, a mentor of mine told me many, many years ago, people will often forget what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. So customer stories, 
in so many ways are about like actually like honing in on a feeling and then backing it into the case study, which is more of the hard ROI analysis, like the left brain versus right brain. But we realize again, if we're going to stand out, we have to actually like use stories and realize that even in B2B, emotions do drive a lot. You know, it's not like just because I'm a marketing director, I, I have zero emotion when I look at content, when I look at vendors, I have an emotional response to every form of communication that I receive. So it's really about harnessing what are the emotions that we want to focus on? What are the stories we believe that exemplify heroes within our user base? And then how do we use that to connect the dots between the hard ROI analysis that we deliver through our case studies or our success KPIs or other measures of why Pandadoc over X. Yeah, I love that. Just like to recap, some things that stood out to me were jobs to be done. So figuring out like what their jobs to be done are and not just the ones that you solve, but like really wanting to understand like the day in the life. And what I've found from asking some of those questions too is like you'll find that your customers use your product in like ways that you wouldn't have dreamed of too. You know, it's good, like just customer product research in general, especially when you're not trying to do that. Like when you're not trying to get to that, but you're just saying, what are your jobs to be done? How do you use this product? And you like find that they'll use the product like in ways that you wouldn't have even considered because people are very creative. So there's that side of things. And then I think the other big emphasis is just people retain the information best through story like story is like the best communication vehicle right and so if you're able to have that emotional appeal turn the job that they got done into a story then that's going to resonate better like with future customers and current customers so let me know if that's accurate if there's anything else you want to add to that yeah i think you nailed it and one of the things that i would add to that is you know understanding the stories of our customers the pursuit of that should not be for a deliverable. It should be a practice that we as marketers do regularly. I always get nervous when I start making decisions and I think back, when was the last time I actually talked to a customer? When was the last time I heard their story and their words and the way they view the world? If it's been four weeks or six weeks or eight weeks, I get anxious. Because I'm starting to realize like, okay, I'm allowing my own biases, which is a very self-centric point of view to dictate or determine or guide the narrative. And the thing that I found to be a very humbling process when it comes to customer stories is I'm actually really using that practice to understand what are the words that they would use? What is the positioning that they understand? What are their definitions of the jobs to be done versus the one pager that I'm getting from product marketing? And not to say that the internal resources or the competitive intelligence resources that we have from you know, internal teams doesn't matter, but it just adds that layer of humanity over it that really brings it to life. And I know like a lot of people talk about like, oh, we gotta make this pop, right? We gotta bring this to life, content, you guys go do that. Well, there's only so much we can do between a great brand team and animations and graphics and really cool intro and outro, but letting the customers talk and really capturing those sound bites, it is literally the best form of marketing. I mean, we all know word of mouth is key in marketing and it's one of the most under leveraged approaches because we can't track it. We can't measure it. It's like, it's very fuzzy, right? But we as consumers know that like 
if somebody looks like me and sounds like me, I'm more likely to trust them than a company who I know is trying to sell me. Right. So I think that's the only other layer that I would add to it is it keeps us really honest as marketers in terms of not getting too heady in our own way or get in our own way when it comes to trying to figure out what is the best way to tell the story and just being like, look here, customer, you're 10x smarter and more experienced in your domain and your expertise. Here's the microphone. How do you think about the world? What do you do on a daily basis? And nine times out of 10, they'll tell a better story than we can. Yeah, because it's true, right? Like just wanting to get to the actual truth and not having an agenda, like that's the difference between like a customer story and a case study, I guess is where we're landing here. I love that. So next thing, what do companies get wrong when they're trying to go about this? Let's say they're coming from like the right place, but you can still fail. So what are you seeing SaaS companies get wrong about customer stories? I mean, to be really honest with you, I have a hard time answering that just because I don't see too many SaaS companies doing customer stories. I see a lot of case studies and I would just kind of go back to they're focused on developing assets for their own sales funnel. I mean, that's what it comes down to. They're not focused on evangelizing their customers. They're not focused on putting their customers truly on a pedestal where the spotlight is on them and not on the company. And that's a hard thing to do. I think, like I said, it, it kind of goes back to if the sole pursuit of doing customer stories is a deliverable or an asset, you're kind of missing the point. It should be a practice as a marketer. And from that practice, you can absolutely develop assets. But the pursuit is really where it's all at, which is like the pursuit should be, I really want to understand you on a genuine human level, because I know that if I can connect emotionally the what and the how, that's the easy part. It's the why factor. Tell me why you do what you do. The how and the what and filling in the details through tools and software and automation and all the else, that gets very tactical and there's check boxes and there's very clear lines there. But the emotional side is the hardest side to win because it's noisy and nobody believes you. <laughs> like as Margaret is like, okay, great. You know, if I give you my email, you're just going to send me 35 emails over the next few months and, and send me a bunch of stuff, but you haven't connected with me. You haven't really caught my interest. You haven't shown me that you understand me or in some way, shape or form, you know me. So just as much as I made a comment earlier about like people will trust more others, like other peers in their industry. I think there's also this aspirational side of it as well as people people will respect and listen to others that they aspire to be like, right? So we have some incredible customers who are also pioneers and leaders in their own industries. And I know it is 10x more valuable for me to highlight their story as entrepreneurs or as leaders within a corporate environment, how they became, you know, how they fought Goliath, if you will, they were the Davids of their world, right? That adds so much more value because not only then are you highlighting their company, not only are you highlighting that individual, but as a reflection of those things, you're also highlighting all the people in their life and their colleagues who can benefit from that spotlight. So one of the benchmarks that we were looking at as we started publishing customer stories is we were really trying to see are these companies and their teams and their employees actually engaging with these stories just as much as we are? 
And the ultimate measure of success for us was when we started seeing people who report to those customers that we highlighted sharing those stories. How do you even capture the ROI and the power and the magnitude of that type of influence? It's really hard to do that. But if I know I produce something that shows how awesome Camille is and what Camille has overcome in her career, and all of a sudden all of your colleagues who are not directly associated with Pandadoc are being like, oh my God, Camille, what an amazing story. This is super cool. And then they start sharing that with their friends. Well, that just changes the dynamics. Not only do they see, but also Camille feels a little differently about her role. And she's like, wow, I have made a difference. I have made an impact. How cool is this? This is now my spotlight. So again, it's about putting the spotlight more on the customer and really treating them as the hero versus your solution, your product, your offering, your own ROI that you're just going to use to sell to more customers. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Where to even begin? So feature story. This is the first thing I thought of is like feature story versus yeah, case study, right? And so like if you're doing like an actual feature or a spotlight, right, on someone, you would approach it differently because it's about them. It's not about you. It's not about your ROI or like how this is going to benefit you. And I love that as a benchmark, like shareability, right? So starting with like the internal shareability of if this is actually about them, then they'll be wanting to share it because they'll be proud of it. Right. And then that will naturally and just like trusting that process, because that will naturally lead to shareability outside of that. Right. Like that internal shareability and virality will is contagious and more people will be like, wow, like I'm actually learning from this person because you've taught me their process and their day in the life and not just the things that benefit you as a company. So that was those are the big takeaways for me is like that benchmarking that you look at and wanting it to truly be like a spotlight and it to be something the team is proud of rather than something that your team is proud of. Exactly. And one of the areas where we started seeing opportunities with these customer stories in a way to kind of like tie in that full engagement marketing spectrum, right, between content lifecycle and then customer marketing is you know, how do we tie those stories into our content pillars as well? Because, you know, our content pillars, if we're doing it right, are not the things that we just think we should talk about, but they're actually the things that the market cares about. It's the way, it's what customers are searching for, how, what their worldview is like. So as an example, business transformation was one of our content pillars and really kind of exploring all facets around business transformation. So one story that kind of comes to mind is we had like a customer of ours who you know during the pandemic like many businesses they were impacted right and they had to make some hard decisions they decided to put people over profits which was already very intriguing for us so they were like look we're not going to lay anybody off but we're going to have to make a reduction in your salaries by 20 percent, and we're going to weather this storm together but we don't want to let anybody go so as a result of cutting your salary by 20%, we're actually also going to move to a four day work week because we don't think it's fair expecting you to work five days a week, but paying you 20% less than what you were earning before. Number two, very interesting point from a story perspective. Then through the pandemic, they rode through that storm, utilizing smarter ways to stay connected with both their employees and their customers and you know, of course they use Pandadoc, that's one of their tools, but it's, they realized a few months after making that decision that like, 
I think we've stabilized our revenues. I think we're in a good spot. And more importantly now, we've actually learned that we can operate on a four-day work week with high productivity. So new policy, we're actually moving to a four-day work week permanently, but we're gonna get your salaries back to where they were before we had to make those cuts. That is real business transformation, not, oh, we automated processes and saved 15%. Like nobody, that's not real business transformation is where everybody experiences the benefits and the impact of those decisions. So we feel like that is a compelling story to tell. And again, was Pandadoc a small part of that? Sure, because we made it very possible for them to facilitate e-signatures and document workflows and keep business running and sales deals running. But that wasn't this point of the story. That's not the highlight. The highlight is here's an amazing company who put their people over their profits. Together, they weathered a storm and they got through that storm, changing people's lives, getting them back to earning their full income and realizing that we as a business learned that we can do things differently as a result of navigating through this pandemic. Yeah, I mean, that's a story, right? Like that's an actual compelling story that you'd like want to read. And it brings me back to an ad professor like once said, like picture it as a press release, as like the title of a press release. If it doesn't work, if you can't like sell that idea to a PR specialist or to a journalist, you know, of like this is worthy of objectively worthy of publication, it's probably not a good idea, right? Or you probably don't have a story yet. Right. And so thinking about that story passes the test, right? You have like a lot of interesting things going on. It's not just a pandemic story. It's not just a remote work story, like blah, blah, blah. It's a, no, this company is like doing something innovative. They're trying this like four day work week. They decide to cut salaries instead of cutting people. Like both of those are big moves. And so making it about them, making them like the feature and be like, hey, we helped them with these jobs to be done. Like they had this vision to do this cool thing and we just like help make it happen. You know what I mean? Like we're the guide, we're not the hero in the story. So yeah, just going back to that. Exactly. Well articulated and something that I think our team does really well and major shout out to the content team because none of this would be possible without them you know we have adopted something that we started about a year ago which is developing content around the search motivation framework and i got this actually from john bonini i learned this framework and i thought wow this really articulates in a simplistic way things that have been floating around in my head for years now as a marketer which is top of funnel middle of funnel bottom of funnel content Again, that's very self-serving, that's very sales funnel centric. And I'm not sure how aligned or attached that is with buyers throughout their journey, because, you know, at the end of the day, the buyer's journey is not this like very linear path. It's zigzags all the time. It's, it starts abruptly. It stops abruptly. There's false starts. There's, oh wait, I need a rope in so-and-so. It brings in a lot of different characters, especially in B2B, but the search motivation framework is really around designing content that's for inspiration, education, or execution level. What are the reasons that people go online and search? I either need to get inspired by something, I'm either looking to learn something, or I have a job to be done, so I'm very specific and tactical with what I'm searching for. And at the beginning of last year, when we did an audit of all of the great content that the team produced, we audited that content through the search motivation framework of being like, okay, How much inspiration content do we really have? How much education, how much execution, tactical content do we have? We realized we 
over-indexed on tactical execution and a lot of education, but not a lot of inspiration. So I would probably say that the start of our journey was that was the catalyst was actually like looking at our content and being like, do we feel like we have content that serves that basic human motivation that at times we all need inspiration? Whether I go on YouTube to get inspired by something, whether I'm trying to break through and come up with a campaign idea or whatever, we usually almost always start with inspiration. Like what has been done before? Who's doing awesome things? How can I learn from that? And then trying to like apply it to, you know, our specific areas of focus. And that was, I think, what one of the catalysts, probably the main one that kind of like presented us with this opportunity that like, well, we need more inspiration content and there's nobody better to inspire the market than our customers because they've got some incredible stories. We just have to know how to ask to get those stories. Yeah. What I like about that too is the sales team is still happy. You know what I mean? Like it's not that you should maybe be doing it for that, but you approached it in the right way of like, the customer needs more inspiration. Like we haven't given them enough, but like we also still need to produce customer stories. You know, that's like a regular business need. Right. And so we can just do them a different way. We can approach it through like inspiration and it's still going to be like an effective tool, like for the sales team and the marketing team of like, they have these customer stories. We're still explaining like how we worked for this other customer. We're just doing it in a more effective way. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So um, I'm going to skip ahead, like just to the logistics. Cause I think we talked through like why you do this, right? Like you do it in part because People learn from stories, we communicate through stories, and ultimately we make buying decisions through stories and then we justify it with logic. So that's why you do it. And so let's get into the how. So we just talked about case studies typically being like a bottom of funnel play. And you just made a good point of like how they can actually be fairly top of funnel too when people are in the inspiration phase. So another good why for this is, or why this strategy is it serves a lot of the funnel. It just kind of like blows up the funnel, which I love. So the next thing is just how should startups prioritize customer stories in their content strategy and like who's the right person to focus on this? So in your case, it's director of customer engagement. So just talking through if that is the right person for other orgs, like who would be that person in another org? And then just how did you go about prioritizing the customers? Yeah, I think it really depends a lot when it comes to who's responsible for this in other companies. I think it really depends a a lot on who in your organization is most in tune with your customers, right? Like it could be product marketing, it could be content marketing. If a company has a customer marketing function, not all companies do, it could be customer marketing. But you might find yourself like, like we did to be in a situation where you really need to rely on your customer success team to kind of like partner with you and, you know, help guide that process. Like we had to do that with our customer success team, because at the end of the day, they're literally talking to customers day in, day out, not a single day of the work week goes by where our CS team is not engaging with our customer base for a whole host of reasons. So that was kind of like our entry point into exploring where do we start with this? But there are other things as well that you can do to get other clues or indicators or signals as as we call them, you know? So as an example, when our customers kind of reach a certain milestone or a certain internal KPI that shows that they're like a healthy account, that they've fully activated or unlocked the value of our product, we prompt them with like an NPS score survey. 
So we kind of see like, hey, we're seeing all this cool stuff happening in app. Does that match your overall sentiment towards the product or the brand? And if it does, and usually it does, you know, that opens up the possibility for a conversation. So then we'll look at the total number in the month of this last month, right, of customers that activated this high NPS score. We'll kind of pull up that list and then we'll do a little bit of like the customer marketing team. This is where they've really shined is they've operationalized how every single week are we going through this list of customers, doing a little bit of research and then seeing, okay, of the total customers this month who have given us a very high NPS score, let's go do a little bit of research in Salesforce to see how long have they been a customer? How many licenses do they have active on Pandadoc? How does the firmographic profile of this customer match what our focus is from a sales perspective, new business, right? ICP. And then we start creating that intersectionality between this is where we're going. This is what we see coming in. That's the starting point. Okay. Once we have that starting point identified, that's when we then begin to strategically reach out to these customers, let's call it 20, right? Who we think based on, again, how they use the product, how long they've been a customer, do they fit our ICP? We think there could be something interesting there. So we schedule these like 15, 20 minute calls with them, just checking in, hey, we're in marketing, we're not asking for anything in return, we just wanna to get to know you and your story a little bit. And that's then where the discernment comes in because there might be some great product users who will never be able to articulate beyond bottom of the funnel case study metrics like why pandadoc what they love about their job if they love their job etc right like so that's the part where you have to be very loose and organic and it has to be part of your practice as a marketer because you're like you realize that out of these 20 people that i'm going to talk to over the next few weeks maybe two of them are going to have a really compelling story so you have to think like a journalist then like right journalists talk to a lot of different leads before they actually are like you have a really interesting point. I'm going to jot this down. I'm going to circle back with you soon and talk more about it. So you have to have that mindset of being kind of like a journalist as well to uncover the gems of the stories. And then you have to make sure that the questions that you're asking in those 15, 20 minute conversations, again, are not your basic case study questions. Tell me about your life before you use Pandadoc. And then once you started using it, what did you see? And what was the catalyst of change? And since then, how much better has your life become? You have to approach it like, hey, when did you decide to dive into an HR career? When did that start? Were there any key influences in your life that kind of compelled you to kind of go into that career path? Who did you learn from? Were there any moments of doubt that you had along the way? When did you realize that this was the job you were supposed to have all along? You want to go more personal at that point in this in the the questions that you ask because again, it's not about your product, it's truly about them and understanding their journey and their story. So I don't know, I can keep going there, but does that kind of answer your question in terms of where we start, the data points and signals that we look at, then the methodology of trying to uncover the stories, and then the last step I guess I can answer is like really once we feel there's a fit for a story, then it's about the experience, right? So this is where, once again, shout out to the content team. They've really helped make the experience for the customer a powerful one, right? So pre-interview experience, 
leading up to the interview? Are you setting them up for success? We send them a, a kit with like lighting and a microphone and we say, look, we're gonna do a sound check and you don't have to worry about anything. You don't have anything to prepare. We're just gonna have a conversation, but we're gonna make it look really good for you, right? So we send them that kind of like personalized tech kit that they can use and it's easy to kind of like plug in and, and get going. And then it's very loose, Camille, after that. It's usually me just having a conversation just like we're having. And I literally started the conversation saying, there's a lot of interesting things that we've learned about you. I don't know where this story is going to go, but my objective over the, over the next 45 minutes is to really unpack, you know, who you are, why you do what you do, what your aspirations are. And we're going to go on a lot of different tangents, but I think there's going to be something there at the end. Right. And that's where the last one we did, right. Where. I walked away from that conversation with like goosebumps, right? I was just like, oh my gosh, you are so inspiring. I wish there were more people like you in the world, right? Like that's what we want to get out of those stories. So we just want to make the experience of the actual interview itself really easy and fulfilling. And then after the interview, just to kind of show our gratitude and appreciation for their commitment and time. We usually give them like a first reveal, kind of like a, a pre-screening. So they get to see it first before we publish anything. We'll usually send them champagne and popcorn to make it like, you know, like the opening night of a film or something like that. And again, all those little touches, the handwritten cards, the little gift afterwards, the little kit that makes it super easy for them to look good and feel confident getting in front of a camera because not everybody feels that way. Some people, you put them in front of a camera and they freeze up and they're like, oh, I don't know what to say now even though you were just talking pre-recording and they were super loose and easy to, you know, so you just try to make that experience as organic and, and remove all the, the stuffiness from it. Like, look, we're not, we don't have to overscript this. In fact, we should definitely not overscript this because if we try, it's going to be, people are going to sense that, right? So we put as much care in the experience of the interview as we do in sourcing the interview. Yeah, no, that was like, that was the whole process. So let me again, like recap it, make sure that I get it. I think out loud. So I always do this now. Number one, like, like CS, right? Who's the closest to the customer? Oftentimes the customer success team makes sense. So you, you talk to them, they're probably also using MPS, right? And so that can be a good sort of barometer or at least place to start of like who is getting the most value out of this product. They're probably going to have more interesting stories or just have some more context. Starting there on the who and then the customer marketing team, if you have a customer marketing team or somebody that can kind of dig deeper into that data and deeper into the customer life cycle of like, how did we get here? Because then you're also not having to ask them questions that you already know, you know what I mean? Like waste their time when it's like, we can find out you know, when you started, how you started, some of those questions. So you can, again, focus on the personal stories. And so them digging into that, the customer lifecycle stuff and CS and them working together to kind of prioritize who can we reach out to. But then what you talked about is out of those 20 people, not everyone might have a compelling story. I think everyone has a compelling story, but maybe like it's not a good fit, right? Or it's just not the right timing, right? So different people have light bulb moments at different times. So realizing that. So knowing that like you'll want to come in with more interviews rather than less. So you have more to work with. And so have that. And then you talked about the experience. So sending them everything that they need to be successful. And 
everything that you've said in this interview just goes back to like, they're the hero and don't forget that. So like sending them the lighting, sending them everything so that when they get on camera, they're not like, I look terrible. <laughs> like they're not fixated on something in the background, you know, like you've already thought of that. Their own entire job then is to be focused on the interview or to tell their story, right? And so you're eliminating all those distractions. And then you're just asking them the right questions. And you're starting with pretty softball questions or pretty just natural human questions of who are you? Why do you do what you do? And again, making it about them. So that's my short recap, but that's quite the buttoned up process. I think like most marketing teams aren't there. So I think that's a pretty pretty solid process to follow if you are confused on where to start. Because when you do have, even if you're a startup, if you have a lot of customers, it's like, where do I start? Like there's, you know what I mean? There's can be overwhelming. So I think pulling in the right people, pulling in the people that are closest to the customer and making sure that you're that person too, that you, you don't just wait until you have a customer story to talk to customers, right? So you have a pulse on what they're doing and what to ask too. So anything to, to add to that? No, I think you you got it. You summarized it perfectly. And one thing to remember, because I think it's easy for us at times to get kind of like nervous or awkward or like, oh, will they want to make the time? Well, most people are way more generous with their time than we would think they would be. Right. So we're like, oh, I don't want to impose. They're really busy. They don't have time for this. But like if you're truly giving them a wow experience and you're really putting the spotlight on them and you're upfront with that objective, that this is really to highlight you and the amazing things that you have accomplished in your career and for your organization. People love talking about themselves. I mean, it's the reason why most emails, most interviews have the words I and me all throughout it, because people love talking about themselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just one of those things where if you know how to ask and you know how to put the spotlight on truly the human value versus again, like the end deliverable, like I'm looking to get this sound bite. Well, you're gonna burn people, you're probably gonna force things that don't sound natural. And then that great amount of time that you invested in trying to create this asset, people are gonna realize, I just, I can see through the smoke screen here. I see what's on the other side. So authenticity is super key. Like that's why I don't wanna to be too constrictive when we do some of these interviews, even around the style of the interview, because some people are more natural talking and a little bit more in a business tone and a business dialogue. Others are like, can we please not use jargon at all? Like just be human about it. Like if you're the one doing the interview, you have to follow their lead. It's like when two people are dancing, there's usually somebody who is the lead in that pair, right? So you have to actually be in the passenger side of it. Like I'm going where you're going with this. And I might be able to steer certain things when you say something interesting, but I'm going to let you kind of take this where you want to go. Cause you know, your career, you know, your story way better than I do. Yeah. I'm a smiling. Cause I'm thinking about like how people talk differently, maybe at a Thanksgiving dinner, which is coming up than they might around like their friends, right? Like they adapt to their environment. Like it's a very human thing to do, but for whatever reason, when we're, recorded, we might not do that, right? Or we might feel like we need to follow a script or do things a certain way. When our natural like human reaction is like, take the other person's lead, right? Is to like adapt like to our environment. Exactly. If you go to a, a cocktail party and you're just kind of meeting people for the very first time, do you want to be the person that is like forcing certain conversations on people and topics when they clearly want to break away 
and like, no, I, you know, you don't want to be that person. And you don't want to be the person that is very obviously trying to sell someone on something, right? You got to just, you got to be cool, <laughs> like, and not cool, like stereotypically cool. You got to be cool as in be easy with it, be gentle, be human, you know, because behind the job title, behind the revenue, behind the organization, behind the brand name, it's just people. It's just people who are insecure about things, who struggle with things, who wish they were better at certain things. It's human beings like all of us. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. And it's so obvious in our approach. We somehow just, we, we attach titles and reputations above, you know, above where they need to be and just realize like, no, this is, no matter who I'm talking to, this is the mindset, right? No matter who I'm talking to, I can genuinely learn something from them. And they're genuinely better at something that I know, right? So how do I unpack that and learn from that? And they'll feel great about it because they're speaking from a place of confidence around, I know my stuff. So they feel great about it. And you get to just listen and absorb. And the last piece I'll mention around the customer story side, specifically with like, what do you do with once you have the asset and deliverable is understand that the distribution of that information lives well beyond the video that you just created. It should absolutely, if, if product marketing is the one who is conducting these customer story interviews, then it goes right back into their messaging and positioning framework. It goes to sales around how do they engage in the language that they use in their outreach. It goes to customer success around Quite honestly, the, the personal insights around how to strengthen that relationship, right? Because at the end of the day, the tools that we sell are in many cases replaceable. You know, let's just be real. It's a productivity tool. It's something that eh, if I want to save some money, I'll just do it a different way or I'll go with a competitor or they have this feature that. But if there's a relationship there, if there is a bond on a human level and you, beyond the product, there is a foundation of service and experience, you can't replace that. And that's the other, when it comes to the distribution of these stories, the distribution of insights in particular, it should strengthen all elements of your business, not just your marketing content or your, you know, or your product marketing content, right? It, it needs to be the insights that help you realize like, aha, I can offer more value than just selling this product to this person. And now I know what makes them tick. Now I know what they care about. So I'm gonna harness this relationship now around their needs versus my needs. I don't think uh, I can ask another question. That's like where we need to, where we need to end it. I wanna be cognizant of your time too. So yeah, any other just things that you wanna make sure that you communicate before we wrap up here? I don't think so. I, I, I went on a long rant there, I feel like. So I exposed all my cards in terms of how I, I think about all things customer stories. I guess the last thing I would say is have fun with it. You know, if this is truly part of your practice, that as a marketer, you're going to commit on a, to on like on a weekly basis, keep it fun. Like, you know, we, we have some things that we've done that we want to evolve. We have assets we've created that we're like, uh, there's some things I would do different in the next one. And that's okay. It's a learning process. The fact that if you're doing this, and again, if you're truly putting your customer on the pedestal and making her the hero, you've already won. Everything else is just a matter of iterations and optimization. But the feeling, 
if you nail the feeling, that's the main thing. So I'll just say have fun and, and focus on that and not get too hung up in like the post-production polish and finesse and how many cool animations and graphics and music you have to it. That's Those are all nice to have. Nice. Well, thank you so much for walking through that. I've learned a bunch in this and I've learned what I didn't know too, right? Like I'm like, ah, I just did that in the last story, right? Or I just did that. And I need to be more cognizant of some of those things before getting to like into marketer mode, right? Uh, and really just getting back into journalist mode, as you said. So for the wrap up, where can people find you? Well, definitely LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. I also on SoundCloud. If you want to like dive into the world of my abstract record collection and music findings, that's another channel that has nothing to do with marketing, but if in terms of like visibility on the internet, if you will, that is another channel, but yeah, reach out personally. Um, you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn and I'm all about having conversations with interesting people. So don't be shy. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Andre, for coming on and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Camille. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Content Logistics. This episode is produced by Motion, a done-for-you B2B podcasting agency for busy marketers. If you liked what you heard, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.